because let's not forget you had the McCarthy cat running around. Everybody was a communist. What a whack job that guy was. (laughs) So this was a weird time in Hollywood. Welcome to the What's Everybody podcast, where we fashion ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Crowder. I'm here with my co-host, Alec Burgess. Let's get it. We are here, not live, but we're here, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Go ahead and hit that follow, like, subscribe, bell notification, all those fun buttons that tell you exactly where to find us and when we're going to have new episodes and all that fun stuff. Yeah, we're excited for December. I've decided because our website's down. Though that should be fixed hopefully this week or in the next coming week. It's close. So, but I, we normally through our website, that's where we post our up and coming movies, but I'm going to go ahead and we're just going to run through really quickly before we do this episode, our uh, lineup for December. So December, we're going to really lean heavily into the Christmas season. We haven't been able to do that because the last couple of years, there've been a lot of movies coming out in December as odd as that was some of it because of COVID the year before that, it was just a, an interesting December, but this year, not so much. So we're, we're leaning into the Christmas this week here in a little bit, we're going to start talking about white Christmas, the 1954 classic. And then next week we're going to do violent night I'm excited Me for that too, one. With David Harbour. The week after that will be... Uh, Is that Avatar? Or? That's when Avatar comes out, but that's not when we're releasing. So next week we're releasing, or the week after that, the third week in December we'll release It's a Wonderful Life. And also then, a good one. Also a really good one. And then the final week, so this 26th, will be when Avatar comes out. And then by then, hopefully we'll have the website will definitely be back up by then. And so we'll have January's, but ready to go. Sweet. Shout out to our uh, patron. What is he now? The Kluge Splooge. Soundless Kluge Splooge. Soundless Kluge Splooge. Shout out to him. He's, he voted. We put up four Christmas movies for him to vote on. He, he so chose. So these are all his fault. Yeah. So the, the old, old timey movies, we just picked a, We picked some Christmas classics and, they weren't all old timey, but that's what he went with was White Christmas and uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And so kudos to him. We appreciate it. I'm perfectly happy with those movies because yeah, they're absolutely. two of my favorites for Christmas. So I watch them every year anyway. So they were on the list. So it was fun to, to get started early this year. So with that, that's what's coming up through the month of December. But yeah, let's jump into White Christmas. So White Christmas was released November 18th, 1955. My dad was like six months old, dude. Uh, my parents hadn't been born yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad had, was, in fact, I guess he'd be almost a year old. He was born in January, so he was like 10 months old. It was written by Norman Krasna and Norman Panama, a couple of Normans. And then it was directed by Michael Curtis. It stars Bing Crosby, Danny Kay, Rosemary Clooney, Vera Ellen, Dean Jagger, Mary Wicks, and Anne Whitfield. Yeah, it is about a successful song and dance team that become romantically involved with a sister act and team up to save the failing Vermont Inn of their former commanding general. Uh, (laughs) And Alec, you got to give your 
your little synopsis that you gave before we started recording because I started laughing at that. The Christmas what movie that has no, oh, yeah. this is the Christmas movie that has nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> the title is White Christmas, and up until like the last five minutes, it's really nothing to do with the Christmas season. Not really. I guess the first like three minutes, the first five minutes, and then the last five minutes, five, yeah. Our Christmas Which is so theme. interesting, but it's a Christmas movie, and it's yeah. been established as a Christmas movie. Um, as one of the best Christmas movies. And there's not a lot that it actually deals with Christmas. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful. And one cool thing about this movie is like with Bing Crosby's rendition of White Christmas at the beginning, especially, it changed the song because the song historically before that was much more upbeat, a faster tempo. And then that rendition he does on the battlefield and during World War II with the soldiers there and there is just really slowed down, very, I don't want to say melancholy, but melancholy. And it really, that's now the version that everybody does, right? Like you don't hear that song unless it's that slowed down, quiet, really kind of haunting almost version. You might hear some with some sleigh bells or some weird things in the background to give it some pep and happiness, but it was really, he, I mean, he changed the song completely, which thank goodness. Cause it's the Bing much Crosby version. Oh yeah. That Bing Crosby much, version. Much that's the only one I listened to. Like, yeah. it's, it's and then amazing. he went and solidified himself as like the all time Christmas singer. Oh yeah. With all the records and whatnot that he put out just around Christmas music. Yeah. Mm. Can I say Bing Good Crosby day. does not look like his voice. Like, <laughs> He starts singing. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Something here doesn't match. (laughs) That doesn't feel right. (laughs) Yeah, this is wrong on so many levels. But yeah, and you know, this is like my grandma never went a Christmas without the Bing Crosby albums. Like she had an old record player. So she would throw on the actual vinyl record, Mm. which sounds better than anything else we have by far. So she would play that and it was, yeah. And I mean, that's what I grew up on was Bing Crosby singing Christmas tunes, man. So this one, that's why I love this movie. It always just brings back a lot of, Hey, I know that that song's great. Oh yes. Wonderful. Wonderful way to open up the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, especially at the time this was filmed, right? 1954, 1955 release. You've got Korea war that just ended. You have Vietnam war kind of just getting kicked off. Um, so everybody who's used in this film, they're war vets Yeah, for the most part in one shape or another. Well, and a lot of actors of this generation, like the Bing Crosby's they're they were veterans. Like they went to war and came back and, and got into acting and did whatever, especially in that age group, they may not have gone to world war two specifically, but some, a lot of them went to world war one. So it's a, it was, it was definitely a different time in Hollywood and, you know, a different... Because let's not forget, you had the McCarthy cat running around. Everybody was a communist. What a whack job that guy was. <laughs> so this was a weird time in Hollywood. Yeah. But, I mean, what a way to kick off the movie. And it really kicks off a little bit of the humor aspect. <laughs> and I, I love old movies. I think it's been well established. And I love them because you actually have to watch them mm-hmm. and you have to pay attention there's no like laugh track or the marvel cinematic universe does this where they lead you where they want you to go to laugh older hollywood doesn't do that you have to pay attention you have to catch the joke 
Yeah. And you get a, a right Boehner when Dean Jagger plays General Waverly sends his replacement off on a wild goose chase. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's no Christmas in the army, Captain. Remember that. Uh, yeah. Sergeant takes a shortcut and sends him off on the scenic route. Love it. And then even in the aftermath, he's like, that sergeant's going to be a private morning. Yeah, he's lucky, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> what a lucky bastard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that just sets the tone where you have this, uh, you know, it's a musical and there's the singing and the dancing that you come to expect from a movie like this, but it's also super funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to pay attention to notice everything that happens. Like my favorite scene, right? It's after Phil Davis, Danny Kay saves uh, Bing Crosby's character, right? And then he's in the hospital, Wiener, the infirmary and Bing Crosby comes to visit him and he totally ropes him in to taking him on just absolutely salesman of the century and he's got his arm in a sling, but he shakes his hand with the arm that's supposed to be broken. <laughs> shakes it and then puts it back in the sling. As Bing Crosby's walking out, he kind of looks, you know, because he kind of noticed. But it's just so smooth. It's not played for laughs that you have to pay attention. You can miss it. You can go, you know, several oh, yeah. watch throughs without seeing this. And then when you notice, you're like, no, yep. no way he did that. But it's just so smooth and Great comedy. I love it. Well, and he immediately follows it up. So he takes it out, shakes his hand, puts it back. And then Bing Crosby's character like pats him on that arm. And he doesn't react until after the fact. And then he goes, oh, watch out, Captain. <laughs> like to just instigate the fact that, dude, you just pat, patted my busted up arm. Yeah. <laughs> that I got from saving your life. <laughs> <laughs> So and this funny. is why Danny Kaye is one of my favorite actors. Oh, for sure. Um, and he's also, in my opinion, he's the most underrated actor that has ever been in Hollywood. Because he was very, very good at everything. Mm-hmm. But he didn't specialize. And especially in this kind of era of Hollywood, you're leaving kind of the golden age where everybody had to ride a horse. Everybody had to know how to fence. Everybody had to know how to do everything. Mm-hmm. You're getting into the almost these specialized roles where you know this movie is a great example you have bean crosby who matches up with rosemary clooney both of them are singers mm-hmm. very very good singers neither one of them can dance worth a damn <laughs> and then you have uh, vera ellen who cannot sing yeah. and most of her singing in this is actually dubbed she can't oh, sing. is it yes it's it's I dubbed it's not her that. singing it she huh. can dance though she can dance and that's what she's made for. And then you have Danny Kay who was thrown into this because none of the other dancers who were supposed to pair up with Vera Ellen mm-hmm. were able to do the film. So they used Danny Kay mm-hmm. because he was good enough to make it believable where they really needed him to be. Yeah. But he, you can see that, you know, she's carrying their dance number. I think it's like the, the best things happen when you can dance. Yeah. Yeah. And she's having to hold back her own talent because he's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. He's good enough to make it believable. And that's the kind of what his career was, was he's the, okay, we need, uh, we need someone for this. Who can we teach? Danny K. Yeah, that's right. That's uh-huh. right. I never but, really paid much attention to Danny K. The only thing I knew him from was when he was an old man and he was in the Twilight Zone TV series in the 80s. That's the only thing. And he was only in one episode. Outside of that, I don't think... I probably watched him in Laugh-In once. Yeah, he was mostly a side character support role. Yeah. The only one I know for sure that he was leading was the court jester. 
And that's mm. my favorite movie of all time. Mm. Not a very good movie, but it's my favorite. <laughs> and it came out after this one. Oh. I believe it was, but he's, he's like one of my favorite actors. Mm. And I would compare him for listeners who haven't ever seen him act anything. He's a better version of Ryan Reynolds than Ryan Reynolds is. <laughs> I like that. He's that's able good. to deliver the, the awkward, funny line so well that it looks like he did it by accident Mm -hmm. Um, because he's got all those weird voice cracks that he slips into his lines and is stuttering that anticipates someone who's being nervous but dude's a professional yeah and everything he does is just so funny yeah i like him and well and he and bing crosby play well together like their chemistry and interactions like especially like every time he grabs his arm like and reminds him i saved your life like shit's hilarious like (laughs) And yeah, Bing Crosby gets progressively more upset, like Mm -hmm. as it goes, like it's not the same reaction every single time. It's as it keeps happening. He's like, dude, cut it out. (laughs) You're really going to, are you really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh God. So funny. Yeah. I, I think the main four in this are really cool. And then, yeah, I mean, don't even get me started on the general. Like, even though he's in the movie for nothing. 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Just amazing character throughout. Like, because he's just, as I was watching this again today, because I was watching it kind of in a different light than I normally, so I watch it every year. But I watch it a little normal, different light. Every time I do watch a movie for the podcast, it's a little different than when I'm just watching for fun. And it was interesting to see like that old sense of honor. You know what I mean? Like everybody knows that my faith in the human race is fucking little. Non-existent. Yeah, it's it's very, very <laughs> it's low. It's a big wide generalization. It's only the real worst of the worst of the dregs of humanity, as, my, as I love to say, that are actually who I have no faith in. But the problem is that's who we always hear about. That's who we always see. And I think that's one of the things that I love about my favorite things about these old movies is that's not who they focused on back then. You know what I mean? Like even in like some of the toughest times and things that were going on in the world, and maybe that was part of it is they had enough shitty things going on around them that they didn't have to like focus on the fact that people are shitty because it was easier for people. I think, to be less shitty because of everything that they were having to deal with as a, on a global basis. And that's a wide speculation on my end that I, because we're only going, but even in talking to my parents, they were like, even in the sixties and seventies, like during the Vietnam war, it was different. Like people were nicer to each other. Now the end with the pervasiveness of the internet and the ability to be an internet troll, we're just dicks to each other. So that's one of the reasons I love these old movies is watching that, like having this. And while it's not in your face about Christmas, which I also love, there's like that underlying Christmas spirit of here's this man that was really good to them. He was, they had a lot of respect for him. And the whole thing is how do we improve his life? Once they realize who either he owns this place, it's struggling, man, they go on the leaning into even to the point of hinting that it could break them, which is one of my favorite lines in this. He's like, what's dangerous or whatever. And he's like somewhere between. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? It's like, what's wow. How much is wow. Wow. Somewhere between ouch and boing. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Somewhere between ouch and boing. boing. <laughs> Fucking, that shit's great. But that's like, you know, they're willing to go to the point of destroying this career that they've built since they've been out of the military in order to simply help this general. So I, the Christmas spirit, as you might call it, really is pervasive when you start to look at the actual story that's going on. They're just not in your face about it, which I love. But yeah, I just, again, I think that's why I like a lot of these old time movies is there's always some level of optimism and honor and care and and really the goodness of human nature, which I do believe still exists. I just, we just don't see it very often because it's not what sells news. It's not what sells papers. It's not what keeps the People internet alive. In it. Yeah. yeah, they'd much rather hear about what Florida man did. Yeah. Well, and that's why I loved... John Krasinski, when he did some good news, like, I don't know if you ever watched that shit during the pandemic. Like that was, I quit watching everything except for some good news because I love that shit. I think we don't do enough of that. Like, Oh, absolutely. Period. So, yeah. Yeah. And it shows another kind of lesson in leadership, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, Like you mm -hmm. have this old school general and again, you know, you have Bing Crosby who's like, okay, I know it's murder to ask you to leave your families if you're from the 151st division. And, you know, the turnout is great because this general took care of them during probably the worst part of their life, Mm -hmm. uh, being in World War II and near enough to the action to have their Christmas bombed out to where they really respected him enough to make the trip and travel and to give him the best Christmas present they could. So it's really kind of, it's a movie movie. This is one of two movies where I ball like a baby. Yeah. And oddly enough, the other one also directed by Michael Curtiz. Oh, that's funny. Which, which movie is that? Casablanca. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That'll get you. <laughs> For me too, like I, I get emotional in this movie, especially at the end, like when the first walks in and the, you can just see that the actor and that general is like, he's just holding all the emotion back. Like that, it chokes me up a bit. And then, immediately follow up with the army song. Like it really is. It's just a really wholesome, fun, entertaining, good hearted movie. And we just don't have enough of that. So that's one of the things I love about Christmas is I hate shitty Christmas movies. Like, and I have to watch a lot of them because all the Hallmark ones, motherfucker. Like tell you exactly what happens. (laughs) Well, cause my, like Casey's really into Christmas cause her mom's like a Christmas freak and it's cool. Like I love going to her mom and dad's house during Christmas cause her mom goes all out. Like nice. the house is insane and it's beautifully decorated, like outrageously cool. But I can't handle the shitty movies because they're not good. They're just garbage that they're like, well, it's Christmas. People will watch them. Because it's Christmas. And I'm like... And if we mention enough about Christmas in it, then it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. Well, and all they're doing is taking movies that already existed outside of Christmas and writing them with a Christmas plot. It's yeah. fucking it. And it drives me <laughs> crazy. Really original. Fuck. Like, yeah, there was one... And this is neither here nor there, but I, Casey was watching one the other day. And it's a couple of days ago. But it was basically Overboard. <laughs> with Christmas. And instead of falling off a boat and getting stuck in the ocean, this dumb bitch falls off a mountain on the skis and hits that's her head on a tree. With, uh, Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, that's her. That it's was her. Like, uh, Fuck, it's terrible. 
I think falling is actually in the name. Yeah, something like that. It was so stupid. Like falling far or something yeah. weird. But I was watching it going, it's fucking overboard. Like that's all this is. <laughs> it's the same story. So that's why the other reason I love the old movies, because they were original. Like this wasn't about just cashing in on Christmas. This was about telling a story that just happened to take place during the holidays and that, you know, they were able to utilize the holiday spirit and Christmas in order to make the movie even more intriguing and more moving and emotional. So that's what I look for in Christmas movies is some originality that still leans into the holiday piece, but not, it's just a Christmas movie because we take a movie and write it and do it during Christmas time. Like that drives me nuts. So. Well, Christmas almost even isn't even a focal point in a lot of these. Yeah. It's more of a plot device than as being an actual build it around. Whereas versus something like I'll pick on this movie, even though I really enjoy it. The Grinch, right? The story sure. of the Grinch. Christmas is the, is the focal point mm-hmm. and all your plot voices, devices, you know, revolve around that. Whereas this it's Christmas or the Christmas time, the holidays are used as a way to help drive their story. Mm-hmm. More moving along. It's the reason for them to go to Vermont so they can meet the general at his new job as being a landlord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that shit. And, you know, where you can learn to play horseshoes and how to be old and relax in his retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the focal point of the movie. Yeah. As being Christmas or, you know, because there's snow on the ground. And even though that's not a plot device in this movie at all, there's yeah. no snow. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I really enjoy this movie. And I even enjoy like all of the little mistakes, mm-hmm. I guess would probably be the best way to put it. Yeah. Where you can see a really hard cut of where they <laughs> snip the footage and then start it again from a different camera camera angle. Yeah. Um, that's another kind of, I guess, romantic thing I or romanticism I have with older movies mm. is they didn't fucking care. Yeah. Like it was, uh, nobody was sitting going tooth and nail over everything for continuity purposes. You know, they wouldn't have to reshoot an entire scene because something was messed up or, you know, someone puts the coffee pot back on the, the coffee holder twice mm-hmm. when you snip a, that just happens. That's just, that was just part of filming. They brushed over it and they continued to tell their story and their story was good enough that you didn't have people who would sit there and analyze all the bad things that, you know, or all the little goofs and continuity issues that you have versus now, you know, people go to the theater, like on their first time, they're like, I got a list. Mm -hmm. You know, there's 37 things that you fucked up on. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. Like I laugh my ass off at things like Starbucks cups and on a fucking table. But like, (laughs) it's not that fucking important that I worry about it. Like, it's just like, yeah, I mean, there's a moment when I laughed out loud in this movie, and I do every time I watch it because there's a scene where one of the girls, and I don't remember who it is, but one of the girls is holding the coffee cup. She sets it down, and then it hard cuts to her holding it again and taking That's a sip. Ellen. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> You can tell it's like, that's where we cut the scene, move the camera, start again. Like it's magic. She just has the cup in her hand again. Yeah. yeah. And I laugh, but it's not that serious. Like, and I think that's another way. Like, who cares? It, yeah. It's, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the story. Yeah. I'm a little bit more forgiving with older movies sure. on stuff like that, because for me anyway, they're telling a more immersive story that I can get behind. I don't focus on, all the little things that I'm 
came around, I noticed them like, ha ha. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me. They have lines like freckle face Haynes, the dog face boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, the, he's sitting there staring at the picture. Going, Hills was a good looking yeah. kid. <laughs> <laughs> After the big long pause, like, <laughs> and you just see the freaking his partner's just like, yeesh, yeah, you're so full of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, to your point, though, Alec, I think it has to do with writing too, and like kind of what we rely on in movies. Like back then, movies relied on the story and the writing and the dialogue, and the visuals didn't matter because the only visual that mattered was we're in vermont in december and there's no snow like that's what mattered you know what i mean it's not that nowadays and one of the issues with modern movies is unfortunately a lot of times the writing has gotten stale and that's not anyone's fault other than for the most part other than damn near a hundred years we've been making films and writing stories and books, it's hard to find an original story anymore. I mean, even original stories are technically kind of rewrites or adaptations of something else, right? Like you can always, like I can almost take every science fiction movie and go, that's just fucking Star Wars. Or you can take Star Wars and go, it's just a fucking Fukuyama movie. You know what I mean? Like it's just, and then you take Fuyama and go, it's just a fucking cowboy story. So, I mean, it's just, there's these stories have been told, but we rely so much on the visuals being the part that we go for in movies now. And I get that because we have the technology, we have that, but that's why even on this podcast, we shit on bad CGI. We shit on things like that because that's the focal point. That's what makes movies unique and exciting and different Instead of in this case, it's and in these older movies, it was how good of a story, how good of the how good is the dialogue versus visually it needs to be appealing. And so I think that makes a huge difference to what you're talking about, where a film like this, I can forgive it because it's such a good story and it's written so well, like the jokes and the serious lines and the. Even like the romance shit when they're fighting is even more realistic to me than most like romantic oh, comedies now. Like romantic comedies are funny and I enjoy a good rom-com, but they're not realistic for the most part. Whereas with this one, like when they get in the fight like this, nobody's outright shitty. Nobody's outright stupid either. They're not ignorant and dumb about it. They just kind of are passive aggressive, but respectful. Like she doesn't want to be a complete dick to this dude. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? But he's not yeah. like, look, bitch, you know what I mean? Like, and that's what the shit we would see today. Cause that's how we treat each other. But it was, so it's a different, but the writing is so intriguing to me because in this movie, when they're having this fight between the two of them, because she, <laughs> this old bitty freaking gives her some shitty information. <laughs> she just goes into like, this is bullshit. You know, there's always an angle, right? And Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I've been there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just miscommunication that got blown out of proportion. Yep. And everybody thinks that everybody else is in the loop, and not everybody has all the facts. Yeah. And it's one of those scenes where it's a delicate situation where the housekeeper thinks that they're gonna put the general on display and kind of parade him out. That's not what's gonna happen. But 
that's what she hears. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's a, a perfectly logical sequence of events that would happen if you were eavesdropping on the phone. Yeah. Housekeepers Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just leads to so many good lines because like one of the lines that he says or that she says later is like, it took like 15,000 for me to, to do what I do with just me or whatever it was. It like, took 15,000 men to take my place. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's the one. 15,000 men. I don't know. <laughs> Shit's great. Because yeah, he's like, I got per- I got along perfectly fine in the army without you. <laughs> so funny. Oh, man. But that's, yeah. I mean, the, the freaking, the writing is... Yeah, and like you said, the jokes, unbelievably funny. But it's also, you have this great all-star cast, Mm -hmm. in a way. Not a whole lot of them had super glamorous movie careers, necessarily. Yeah. But they are extremely talented performers. And so you kind of gathered them all together, and they're able to improvise on an entirely, you know, scale that really hasn't been seen. You have that the sandwich scene where Bean Crosby tells Rosemary Clooney what she's going to dream about. Mm-hmm. Completely made up. It was just rambling. Yeah. Um, and he's able to throw in different voices that he used, because that's what you use Bean Crosby for. You use mm-hmm. him for his voice. Or the best scene in the entire movie, where they dress up as the oh, Hanes sisters. Not even anywhere in the script, but Danny Kaye did it b- backstage oh, as a joke. And then the director, Michael in, huh? saw it and was cracking up. And put it in. So they, in addition to like all this incredible writing that they have, they also leave themselves room to improvise and to change their story. If something comes out, they're like, oh, that would be really cool. Let's add that in. Yeah. So the whole landlord, the sheriff and all this underlying plot line, they threw that in there to give Bill Davis and Bob Wallace a chance to dress up as the Haines sisters. <laughs> so funny. Oh, and I love that part too, because you know, there's you hear that like really loud cackling laugh. You know that was a fucking camera guy that couldn't keep his shit together. Like, oh yeah, nobody could. <laughs> like, you see Bing Crosby's laughing oh, the yeah. entire scene. Like, oh, yeah. he could not keep it together. I would attribute this is, you know, Danny Kaye, in my opinion, is Ryan Reynolds. Sure. But he also has a little bit of Will Ferrell in him mm. where he would try and break every single member of the cast that he was working with. Yeah. Just for kicks and giggles. Oh, like, shit, Will Ferrell yeah. does that to everybody. Oh, for sure. Um, especially if you're working with a kind of a funny group of people. Mm-hmm. So Danny Kay was doing that, you know, 40 years before we even saw Will Filler or anything. Yeah. But it's just amazing because they they have this great story that they're telling, but they're not sold on it completely to the point where they're going to toss away good content to stick to their story. Yeah. They're willing to move it around a little bit and adjust and make those kind of calls on the fly mm-hmm. to tell a great story and enhance that story. Unless it's one of these comedies that like gets made that way. Like Step Brothers barely had any kind of freaking dialogue dialogue at all written. They just said, okay, we have John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. Let's see how this goes. You know yeah, what I mean? Put and, him in a room. Yeah. Or Robin Williams when oh. he was uh, around. Dude. Point the camera at him and let him go. <laughs> Fucking genius, man. He'll give you he'll give us something. Yeah. Yeah. I just keep thinking about <laughs> all the lines like <laughs> There's a ton of one-liners in this movie. When they, they're when they so first see delivered. sisters and it says, how can a guy that ugly have the nerve to have yeah. sisters? And freaking Bing Crosby just like on top of it. Very, very brave parents, I guess. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> great fucking line. Like, wow. Well, and they followed up later where it was like, we were just talking about how, uh, what's his name? Benny Haynes could have sisters with eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's blue, blue, blue eyes or brown eyes or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many one liners that are delivered so subtly. Another one of my favorites is, uh, they've, they've met the general mm-hmm. in his landlord role. Danny Kaye's like, oh, we wouldn't be any good as generals. And just immediate clapback is, you weren't any good as privates. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, I love the one, too, where he's like, they're fake engaged and like the general forces him to kiss. And he's like, in general, you're better than my Cocker Spaniel. Like, you're, way far, you're far superior to my Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a great callback. To, and that's another thing that these movies and good scripts do is they callbacks to previous shit. Like they have that freaking blonde at the very beginning that he's trying to set Bing Crosby up with. Mutual, I'm sure. Yeah, it's dumb as a box of rocks and just annoying as shit. And then she shows up later at the party and they hand her off to the dumbass that keeps trying to cut in. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's such a great, because why is she there all of a sudden? You know, I mean, I get she was part of the cast, but it was just kind of was great. It was just a random callback yeah. that, you know, gets a giggle. Yeah, the cast has been there for like two or three scenes, like long scenes and performances. And then all of a sudden she's there just as a, oh, we're going to, this guy's annoying. We're going to dump him off with you. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Like he's getting in the way of our plan. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Smell Smith. Spell Smith. That shit was good. She didn't go to Smith. Yeah. Go to Smith. She couldn't even spell it. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Oh, God. I will say though, a scene of this movie that I never have enjoyed. Yeah. And only recently I figured out why it was even put in mm-hmm. was the choreography number. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, where it's, uh, you got a uh, Danny Kay. Yeah. It's a weird doing scene. That interpretive. Yeah. So I figured out why they put it in there. It's cause he can't dance or he uh, can't dance at the level that Vera Ellen was. Uh-huh. So she gets this new dance partner so she can actually showcase her talent. Sure. A guy who can keep up and they notice that, Nowhere in the in like the rehearsal is mm. Danny Kay. He's nowhere in the show rehearsing anything. So they threw this in kind of last minute to show him being a part of the show. Gotcha. Because originally he's supposed to pair up. And I think even like Fred Astaire was attached to this mm. at first. And then he couldn't do it. The they tried to get Donald O'Connor, who's a phenomenal yeah. dancer. He got sick, so they threw in Danny Kay cannot dance as good as those first two blokes. Um, And so there was no, no way to fit him into the show. Mm -hmm. So after I figured that out, I kind of got a little bit nicer with that, but I still hate it. Yeah. It's it's my least favorite part because it doesn't make any sense. Well, and I'm glad you brought it up because that's the one issue that I have. And this is not with just this movie. This is with older movies in general sometimes, but this movie is probably worse than most and that there's random dance numbers and that's the worst of the worst by far because you're like fucking weird what but (laughs) because it it has nothing to do with the story other than a rehearsal for the show but like there's a lot of it's a two-hour movie which in the 50s is very long movie of course i say that and we're reviewing it's a wonderful life in two weeks and that's even longer but it's a long movie for a 1955 release and there's probably 15 minutes 
of Easily. unnecessary dance numbers and sing like a couple of songs. And I'm like, this adds no value to this movie other than back then those were considered, I mean, it was entertaining. Like people looked at that one, look at the skill, look at the, you know, the dance numbers are fun and entertaining, but from, especially nowadays perspective, like I watched that and I'm like, okay, in fact, I skip that scene you're talking about. And luckily on Netflix now I can just scroll down and go, Oh, there it is. The end. I find no value in that. It doesn't add anything other than like you say, the performers are badass. And Vera Ellen can dance her oh, ass off. And the guy that plays John, that's her partner in that scene, can dance his ass off too. But it doesn't move, it doesn't do anything for the story for me. Which yeah, is it's what just I to showcase it. her specific talent. And, you know, maybe it would have been better if they had the original Fred Astaire or Donald O'Connor. Sure. Because then you can tell a little bit of story with your dancing. Whereas now, it's entirely just to showcase her skill. Yeah. And it's out of place. And it feels out of place. And there's another one, and I don't remember which scene it is, to be honest with you, but because I, I skip it. Because it's just, it's another dancing scene or singing. It's the one where she's in yellow, right? And yeah, doing yeah, like, yeah. It's Abraham. yeah, yeah, yeah. Abraham, I think is the name of that. Yeah, and I'm like, nope. Because it just doesn't add anything to me. So I think this could be an hour and a half long movie with the core of what's needed to tell the story and to keep the, the characters moving forward and still would have been just as good to me. Easily. You know. And, you know, streamline it, streamline it, make it still the same movie. Yeah. Because it does have all this extra fluff mm-hmm. uh, in there that's not really necessary or probably somewhere written in her contract or something like sure. that. That she had to have an X amount of dance numbers and they did the best they could with what they had. You know, Danny Kaye can fake that he can dance. <laughs> he cannot dance yeah. at the level that she's able to dance at. So I could trim 30 minutes off this movie and be completely fine. Sure. Yeah, and I do artificially, but I, <laughs> <laughs> every year I'm like, nope, <laughs> skip, don't need you. <laughs> but overall, yeah, I mean, very enjoyable. Very. No, I love this. Movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. It was a good pick. It was. Thank you, Kluge Splooge. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's write this thing. You go let's first, my friend. All right. This is my favorite Christmas movie of all time. I watch it multiple times every year. Just because I enjoy the music, the dancing, anything that really that I can't do that I see someone else do, I really enjoy because it's it just kind of fascinates me. There are the, you know, we talked about it, the things that you could cut in this movie, all the little kind of goofs and continuity things that normally I would rip into a movie a little bit for, but the nostalgia of old movies mm-hmm. is is strong with me. So I'm going to give this movie a four. There's no doubt in my mind I will watch it again. I will watch it again this season. I'll watch it again this month, multiple times before I go through it. It's not a perfect movie in my opinion, but it is one of the best movies I think that is out there currently or has been made, uh, which is funny because the director, Michael Curtiz, he's made a lot of great movies. Dude's an asshole. <laughs> like straight up. He's one of the worst. Pe- like he would not have survived Hollywood today where it's more about kind of social awareness and what's going on outside of your sphere of influence. Dude was an asshole in the thirties. Yeah, um, wow. So he would not. Mm. <laughs> Uh, not be good. So I'm glad he was around when he was so he could make movies like this because they would not have been made today under the same circumstances. Sure. But 100% one of my favorite movies of all time. My favorite Christmas movie, four out of five from me. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to lead with my score and say that that's what I'm going to give it to as a four. It, it was always a four for me. And that's 
same reasons that there's things that can be cut out. I don't care. Like, I really don't care about like the flubs and shit. I only notice them because they're funny, yeah. but they don't, it just like cutting out the pieces that I skip don't add anything or take away. Like they don't add anything to the film. The little flubs don't take anything away from the film. Like it doesn't impact the overall story or how I look fit reaches film. And I'm with you. I think it's a great, I think it's one of the best Christmas movies and it's ironic because it has very little to do with Christmas. And I think that's what modern Christmas movies do wrong is it's all about Christmas. I mean, even in two weeks when we review it's a wonderful life, very little about Christmas. In fact, yeah, it's hardly there's a whole other story about yeah. Christmas. Only about Christmas. It takes place during December and only <laughs> parts of it. Like it's not even like, it's, so I mean, there's, there's so much that's, and I think that's why to me, and I'll be honest until I met Casey 20 years ago. And until I met Casey, I was never a big old time movie. Like I enjoyed old music. Like I knew Bing Crosby before I ever saw him in a movie because my grandma used to listen. And I'm sure that she put on this movie sometime when I was a kid in black and white and I watched it and didn't care for it. But as an adult, Casey introduced me to more of the old school 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s movies where, and I started to appreciate them for movies like this, where it's, it can be a Christmas movie. In fact, it can be one of the best Christmas movies or in your case, the best Christmas movie without it being in my face Christmas. It just takes place during Christmas. And it carries some underlying themes that can apply to the Christmas spirit. And you can talk about, hey, this is a great Christmas movie because of what it's about and the fact that it takes place during the holiday season, not because we're going to make a Christmas movie and fucking bleed Christmas shit all over you through your screen, but the movie's going to blow ass, but it's a movie (laughs) about, it's a Christmas movie. Fuck you. So that's why, like, I get into movies like this and during this, this time of year, and I'll watch this again along with, because like I said, Casey and I would go through as many Christmas movies as possible, and the only ones I actually watch with her are these ones and things like last year's movies. Like, like I love Love Actually, but again, not necessarily about Christmas. It just takes place during the holidays, so it's very reminiscent. But then, like, Home for the Holidays, even some 80s movies, Christmas movies are pretty good, but I think this is... This is up there. And I think it, like I said, for me, it changed Christmas music even to a degree because of Bing Crosby. And and probably through this movie, he became the voice of Christmas because everybody was just so blown away by the way he performed a white Christmas at the beginning of the movie. So love this movie. Great movie. I'll watch it again. Four out of five for me as well. Go watch this movie if you haven't before. It's worth it. Netflix, it's even in color. So Matson could watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to he get find my, some other reason. Yeah, no, I know. I had to get my dig in there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, there it is. And uh, with that, go ahead and tell everybody where they can find us, Alec. <laughs> you hesitated, JJ. Are you nervous? <laughs> no, I'm so excited. It's just, uh, yeah. Thank you for tuning in to our review of White Christmas, and thank you to Soundless Scrooge Splooge for selecting it this wonderful month of December. If you guys would like to participate in the selection of our monthly docket, consider joining us on Patreon at What's Our Verdict. There you can find exclusive content and more importantly, bloops for supporting us directly. If this is your first time listening to one of your one of our episodes, I'm sorry, but we are not <laughs> responsible for any future therapy you will need after the life-adjusting experience of listening to our podcast. 
It is a well-known fact that the cure for what's our verdict is more what's our verdict. So mm-hmm. check us out on every major podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Ghana. If you want to further your nightmares, check us out on YouTube, where you can see our faces and match that with the horrific screeching of our voices. We enjoy any and all interactions, so drop us a comment or a like and let us know if your verdict matches with ours. Back to you, JJ. Absolutely. Thanks, Alec. With that, as always, we appreciate you tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Hasta la vista, baby. Cinematic out.